One of the things I'm convinced of is that most women are just really confused. Amen. <laughs> I was going to say next is, guys, before you say amen, <laughs> ladies, before you have me tarred and feathered, here's what I mean. I, I really, I really believe women are, are confused because you're bombarded each and every day with messages from advertising, from people, whomever it may be, that leave you confused and pulled in a million different directions. In some ways, that confusion that you experience is really not your own fault. It is an all-out war against you. I believe that you're tired of it, ladies. I believe that something inside of you revolts against what you see in the mainstream of society. And yet, I, I see so many women who just go along with it, even though you hate that about yourself. I, I think that's true. I found some articles this week that give us a little bit of insight. I think you may find this interesting. In one article, there was an author who revealed his study of the words, keywords, in advertisements found in a couple of leading magazines. What he did was took one leading magazine directed toward men, another directed toward women, and he studied the keywords in the advertisements. What he found was this. Based upon the, the number of words, the, the, the kind of words, he discovered this. Every man, he says, wants, quote, the best. They also want the newest thing. Whatever is worldly and, technology, and technological. They are mature and time-tested and desire performance, <coughs> quality, and efficiency. They also crave to be, quote, more European. And to, to appreciate style and luxury. That, that's what he found. And in the way that men were advertised to, apparently those are the things they want. And here's what he also said. If these keywords in the magazine toward women are any indication, every woman wants perfect skin. <laughs> they love color. They love love. And things that smell good. They like smooth, moisturized. And their body is very important to them. Another article did an analysis of Victoria's Secret's marketing strategies. Listen to this. Today, Victoria's Secret models have by and large become a benchmark of female beauty. They possess what society deems beautiful. Mesmerizing eyes, sexy lips, flawless skin, big voluminous hair, and perfect bodies, complete with, an unusually, with unusually long and toned legs to complement their beautiful faces. While on the one hand, Victoria's, Secret, Victoria's Secret's primary purpose is certainly to utilize this army of girls to sell their products, it's important to look beyond this and recognize that they inevitably sell values, images, and concepts. One of those is sexuality. The overpowering presence of these models in the media provides a benchmark telling us, women, who we are and who we should be. It also tells us how to look and how to be. <coughs> it tells us in order to be acceptable, we must be unnaturally thin. The great emphasis here is that beauty and thinness causes young women, unfortunately, to be perpetually unsatisfied with their bodies. The message is this to guys, look at me, this woman being advertised, and then look at your girl. This undoubtedly puts men in an uncomfortable position, as it indirectly implies that dating a girl or being married to a girl less attractive than these models will make them less masculine and less successful. 
Further, further the message is this, buy the product and get that kind of girl. Or to the ladies, buy the product to be like this girl so that you can get your man. Maybe you're not affected by this onslaught of advertising. Maybe you don't watch any television. Maybe you don't read any magazines. You don't look at any kind of advertising whatsoever. But maybe you're online all day long. Here's what one article said about how Facebook has affected the way that women look at themselves. Listen to this. A young lady, probably in her 20s, writing this. When I saw a photo, she's looking back on her life, of myself on homecoming in high school in a muted beige knee-length dress that I basically drooled over before I put it on, the first thought came, that came to my mind was, oh my God, I look like that? And so my self-scrutiny became intensified. I analyzed that photo of myself in a way that I never had before. And not just because I felt sort of strange that others were seeing my photo online, but because I was seeing myself as all of my friends were. I was no longer worried about my appearance in the same way I had been for the entirety of my adolescence, but now I was concerned with how I looked to the world or at least to the internet at large. All I know is this. I never cared or even considered what I looked like from the side until Facebook taught me to. And now, she references a very young cousin of hers, my cousin, her peers, and the girls younger than them care and consider this, even if they don't realize it. If you're not convinced yet of the war on women, listen to this, some truth revealed from an article written by Al Mohler, who's the president of Southern Senate. He references an article from 2010. And here's what this article revealed. It documented what economists, he says, measure as the financial benefits of physical attractiveness. The beauty premium adds 5% to the lifetime earnings of attractive men and 4% to the lifetime earnings of women. It surveyed, this, this article revealed, it surveyed more than 200 corporate hiring managers and almost 1,000 members of the public and confirmed that, quote, from hiring to office politics to promotions... Looking good is no longer something we can dismiss as frivolous or vain. The mostly male hiring officers also said by 61% that it would be advisable for a woman seeking a job to wear clothing to the interview to show off her hair. The managers even ranked physical attractiveness third on their list of criteria for hiring above education. Now ladies, it's no wonder that you have no idea who to be. I say that as a as, as pity, honestly, toward those who are women here in this room today. It is an all-out war. You couple that with a confusion of your never-ending responsibilities that your daily routine provides for you, and you're probably exhausted, frustrated, and really just sick of the way things are. We all know women who are going against the grain here. Who really do focus on what matters most, but it's a difficult thing to do. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 31, there's no way to place a value on the woman who, who says to all that stuff, all those messages, no, no, I'm not following that. I'm going to focus on what's inside. I'm going to focus on godly character. The Bible tells us there in Proverbs 31, 10, that that woman is worth more than anything that money can buy. That she's extremely valuable. But I realize there's a tension for women. And, and you're no different, let's be honest. There's a tension for you. You say, oh, I'm a Christian. All that doesn't matter to me. I don't buy it. I believe that it does, only because it's never ending. You fight that battle all the time. 
So you, you're pulled in so many different directions, told to believe so many different things, and honestly, you have so little time to focus on what matters most. And even if you never have seen the message of who you're to be and why you don't measure up and so on, maybe you've never seen that from an advertisement, but I'll tell you this, even if you never see it, Satan's going to whisper to you. So you've heard it. Women today are under attack. The battle is, is sometimes very, very subtle. But what it does is it steals the truth from you about who you are, and it steals your capacity to devote your life to what matters most. And so I really believe that as a representation of our society, many women here today are hurting, frustrated, confused, and just ready to give up. You may not be that way, but you may be sitting next to someone who is. You know what matters most. I mean, you really, really do. You, you understand that. You know there's nothing more important in life than your relationship with God and your relationship with those people that God has given you. In truth, you really do want to focus on those things, but maybe you don't feel like you can. You know that the message from the world that you're getting is just garbage, but maybe it's the only one that you're hearing. It's so difficult to live in a different kind of way. What you need today is truth. You need permission to live by that truth. You need reassurance that living by that truth is both good and best. And I want to tell you that God offers all that. He offers you a different message, one of the truth. We're in a series called Family Matters. And the idea is that we're looking at different roles and responsibilities in the family. We're seeing how all that eventually fits together so that our families can maybe once again be something that God wants them to be. You may be in a family today that's just awful. You don't want anything to do with it. All I can say is that from this point forward, maybe you can become the kind of person God wants you to be and begin to stick a paddle in the water and turn things around just a time. Asking the Lord to help in your family. And so we've looked at men. I spent seven weeks on men. And I'm not nearly as brave uh, regarding women, so this is just the third and final week. And, and we'll move into next week focusing on parenting. We'll highlight how to be a better parent, and one of the things we'll do, just so you know, is invite those who come to Trump Retreat to a sermon on parenting. That's why I can rearrange. I put parenting before I'm going to preach on marriage, not because I believe that's necessarily the way it ought to happen, but I, I, I just want to make sure that I can focus on parenting when we've got maybe some parents we can invite, all right? So just in case you're wondering, why is he going to preach on parenting before That's the reason. Our, our focus on women has us in Proverbs 31. If you want to go ahead and turn there, I appreciate you getting there with me today. You may, you may have a, a Bible with you. You may have a, a phone or a tablet. However you can access the Scripture today, do that. You'll see if you've got a phone or a tablet you want to scan the little code on the back of the bulletin. You can do that. It will take you to an outline that's real similar to what you see on the back of your bulletin. And you can follow along. It's got the Scripture there. The context here, the idea of what Proverbs 31 is, it's a poem. Uh, verses 10 to 31, that closes out this book of wisdom. And the idea is that the author wrote an acrostic poem. That means that each verse begins with a consecutive letter, successive letter, of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's kind of like an A to Z look of what does God say about one of them. And so that's that's our, our idea. The, the truth that we've seen so far, I'm just kind of picking out the general concepts here. We've seen that, that this model woman, according to God, is trustworthy. We saw that in verses 10 to 15. Then last week, we looked at verses 16 to 27, and we saw that this model woman is wise. 
And the, the whole theme throughout those two messages and this one, and honestly, the one truth that I hope you walk away with more than anything, is God's truth, very simply put, that you don't need youth or beauty to be a model woman. Again, that's totally different from the message you're going to receive from the world. I hope, I pray, I ask you to receive that this morning. Ladies in particular, to receive, you don't need youth or beauty to be a model woman. Far beyond that, those things, as we'll see, can lie to you. So this is a truth today I really believe can set you free. can turn your life around. Not just in a, well, yeah, I get that kind of way. But truly, if you apply this, you begin to live by this, you ask God for direction, and I really believe, ladies, it can change your life. So my goal is simple today, as it, as it is each and every week. I, I just want to give you God's truth. I want to let you see how that compares to how you're living today. And then I want to ask you to decide what to do about it. Simple enough. I just want to hold up God's truth, ask you to reflect on your life, and then decide... Where's it going to go? Our focus today is on the third aspect of being a model woman. So we've seen trustworthy, we've seen wise. Today, we'll see this model woman is devoted. Look with me, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 28. My plan today is just to kind of walk through this, help us understand what it means, and then we'll close. Verse 28. After talking about how trustworthy and wise she is, her sons rise up and call her blessed. We'll check out in just a second. Pause there for a second. We'll check out what her husband has to say about her in just a minute. But, but what this verse makes clear is that this woman's children speak very well of her. Now, I'm not of the, the mindset that, that this should be interpreted as some fairy tale. As if this woman's children literally get out of bed in the morning, completely clean their rooms, having made their beds perfectly. I'm talking military perfect. They've shined everything up. Their room is perfect. And then, angelically, it emanates from their room. Mother, thou art blessed. Oh, how I love thee, Mother. I'm just not convinced that that's what this is about. That would seem kind of fake. But the Bible is not a, a set of fairy tales. It just gives you some impossible way that things should happen. That's not what it is. This is very real. Now, for some of you, for your kids even to speak to you in the morning would be a big problem. Whatever they would say. I just say something. They get up and they kind of grunt at you, you know. That's not what this is about. This isn't about creating some false hope or some impossible reality. I really believe that the idea is that for this woman's children, once they have reached the age where they can perceive it, they look at their mother and they realize that she's focused on all the right things. So have an appreciation for her. They speak well of her. They may not say, Mother, thou art blessed, but they will speak well of her. What this literally means when it says they call her blessed is they call her happy. She gets it. They get it. She didn't need to be rich or famous or beautiful or young all of her life because her focus is on something different from all of that. She's happy and she's blessed and her children recognize it because she's focused on what matters most. And now her kids understand. They appreciate who she is and what she's done for them. Her commitment to being this model woman. There's no evidence that these kids have sown some wild oats and now they're coming to their senses and saying, well, Mom, you were right all these years. You know, listen. Maybe they did that. Maybe they didn't. But what's evident is they just understand. Whether they have all along or finally they understand that Mom did it right. She wasn't focused on all the things that the world was focused on. And, and these children begin to express 
their appreciation. Now, ladies, I, I don't want you walking away telling your kids, the preacher said, you're to call me blessed from now on. <laughs> blessed woman, oh how I love thee. That, now, you can try that. And, well, you know how it goes. But, but this may come for you in a variety of ways. I, I wouldn't expect first thing in the morning for this to happen and for them to speak in King James English and to tell you how wonderful you are. I, <coughs> they're probably not thinking how much they love you when you shout at them to get up for the fourth time to get ready for school. And now you're pounding on the door, get out of bed, and you just shove them in the shower or the bath, whatever it is. And they're probably not, oh, I don't love you so much. I think anything but that. But here's the point. When you are a devoted woman, devoted to what matters most, when you're focused on those things, I think eventually, in most cases, not in every case, but in most cases, your kids will recognize it. In most cases, they will. They may begin to speak highly of you so that you hear it or you read it. They may not. They, they may simply say something, a word of appreciation to someone else about you. You may never hear it. Or they may just begin to follow your example. All you can do is simply live in front of them what God says you are to be and trust Him with the rest. If you're living the way you're living in order to receive appreciation and words of affirmation from your children, as much as I hate to say it, I probably think you have the wrong motive. If you're living, though, in front of them in such a way to say, I will honor the Lord, I will do my very best as a parent to submit to Jesus Christ, I think over time they'll begin to appreciate that in most cases. Whether they let you know or not, they will speak well of you in most cases. How do you get to the point where that happens? I mean, that, that's the key. Some of you are saying, well, you know, I've got a pretty good relationship with my kids. I keep it going. Or, you know, I've got the kind of kids that don't say anything good to anybody, much less to me. How can I take some steps to get there? What I look back on is in Proverbs 31. Look back in these verses. And I, I see some things that this woman has been doing to get to the point where her kids speak well of her. They rise up, they call her happy, she gets it, she understands. We appreciate that, Mom. What she's proven so far is several things about herself. We've looked at all of this stuff before. Verse 15, verse 18, verse 22, verse 27. This all highlights the fact that she's not lazy, that she works hard. She has worked hard, and it's evident to her kids. In some cases, she went to bed later than them, and she got up earlier than them. You been there? Done that? Last one to sleep, first one up. Mom is usually like that. I know in our house, that's the, a lot of the way it is. Her kids understand that. Now, this isn't meant to be some added pressure, but just to let, let you know that over time, the things you work hard at, the, the, the effort you put forth, over time, in most cases, people understand and they recognize it. Maybe she, she planned for the home to have a list of, of things everybody's responsible for, just to make sure everybody worked hard. She didn't tolerate laziness in herself, and certainly was not going to tolerate anybody else. Then, we see verse 11, verse 12, verse 23. One of the things this woman did for her children was to love their father. She respected him. She helped him. She made him look good. She never spoke poorly of him. Now, this is amazing. I'm just, I, one of the things I thought about this week is how amazing this is considering the fact that this was an arranged marriage. Think about it. I mean, this wasn't some romance. Well, we're high school sweethearts. They didn't go to high school. When they were young, their parents said, hey, it looks pretty advantageous for you to be married to him so our families can come together. This was an arranged marriage. She didn't fall in love with this guy in some 
incredible story unfolded. It was arranged for them. And that's so hard for us to understand. But when you consider that she loved this man and grew in love for him, even though it was arranged for her, that to me is amazing. The woman who said, you know what? This is the man that God has chosen for me. I'm going to love him as best I can. Did she love him immediately? Probably there at the altar when they got married? Probably not the way you think. Over time, she was so committed to the Lord, so committed to what God values as important, that over time her love for this man grew. Ladies, I just want you to know that the way that you love the father of your children has a tremendous impact on your kids. Now that may be very easy for you. Because you may have a, a, a man who's the father of your kids, your husband, who is just incredible. I mean, he's easy. He, I mean, he, he treats you with respect. He's the kind of man that you said, this is who I want. <coughs> the greatest thing that you can do for your kids in that situation is keep loving your husband. They, they need to know that even after the kids grow up and get out of the house, mom and dad still love one another. They need to know that. Realize for others, this may be very difficult. You may not love the father of your children. You may hate him, in all honesty. You may have never married him. You may be divorced from him. How do these verses then apply to you? I, I, I don't want any delusions today that everybody lives in just some perfect fairy tale world. You know? Maybe I just need to get my act together. Life's real. What if you don't love the father of your children? Can I encourage you today and challenge you, ladies, if that's you, to just this week simply say nothing if you have nothing good to say. Now, your mother talked to me. But, but in all honesty, maybe just for the very first time you say, I don't love him. I don't plan on loving Him. I don't want to love Him. I have nothing good to say about Him. And maybe this week, in front of your kids, you just say, you may be in the habit, listen, this may be so hard for you, you may be in the habit of running Him down every chance you get because you're trying to build a coalition on your side and you wouldn't admit it, but that's what you're trying to do. Maybe, just maybe, this week, you say, you know what? I will choose to love this person not in a romantic kind of way, but in a God-ordained kind of love that just says, I'm not going to sin. Can I encourage you and challenge you to model a love for your enemies in front of your children? You say, I hate that man. You probably have good reason. But, but can I encourage you, challenge you to love your enemies this week in front of your kids? Maybe I can encourage you and challenge you to just pray for those who've made your life miserable. God, I call down fire and brimstone on that man. Maybe you say, Lord, would you convict me of sin? Maybe you just pray for salvation, if you can say. Maybe you just pray for the fact that he's just running from the Lord as a God. Make him like that prodigal son and turn around. And I encourage you and challenge you that just for a moment maybe you realize that these words aren't coming from me. They're coming from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what He said. 
to love your enemies. Pray for those who have persecuted you. Don't underestimate the power and the impact that your example has on your kids, especially in dealing with a man that you don't like. Who <coughs> makes you want to do anything but love him. Verses 21 to 25 go on to show us that this woman has built this credibility by preparing her family for what the future holds. She's had tough conversations with her kids to let them know some hard times may be coming for you, some difficult things, some temptations. You're, you're going to face this. Here's what it's going to be like. I wonder, ladies, when was the last time that you intentionally set aside a moment to talk with your kids? And not just, well, one day you'll understand kind of thing. You know what? They won't understand unless you teach them. One day they'll never just get it automatically as if somehow everybody does. If they're not instructed, they won't get it. They won't understand. Talk to them about what matters most. This woman did that. And her children understood. They're prepared for the future and they appreciate what their mother has taught them. Verse 26 tells us that they were instructed. She opens her mouth with wisdom and loving instruction is on her tongue. They recognize what's important. They do what's best, and they pass this all along to, to who they're responsible for because that's what their mother taught them to do. The power of your instruction helps your children appreciate who you are. So considering all of that, it's no wonder that her kids speak well of her. She is an amazing woman. There's another person who speaks well of her. Look at verse 28, uh, the end of it. Her husband also praises her. Here's what he says. Many women are capable, but you surpass them all. It's not just their, the kids who think their mom is great. Her husband, uh, who, who she's been helping all along in this poem here in, in Proverbs 31, he knows how blessed he is. He knows how incredible his wife is. He's not stupid. He understands that his success is largely due to the woman who's living there in his home. He recognizes that behind every great man is an even better woman who's helped him become the man that he is. And so he says, there are lots of women who are great, you're the greatest. And he said, well, he's just trying to love her. He's making up for something. What did he do wrong? I don't really think that's the content. I just think he recognizes you're, you're incredible. And he takes time to mention it to her. Now, I'm sure that this man came to find his wife attractive, if he didn't already, in this arranged marriage. But what he's more focused on than what she looks like over time is just who she is. Many women are capable. Many women have good character, but you surpass them all. It's amazing. What a, what a great model this is for any unmarried man. And when it comes down to it, the most important thing about the kind of woman that God wants you to have is, is not what she looks like. Though I think it's obvious that you, know, you want to consider her to be critical. But what's going to last, what's going to make or break your marriage isn't what she looks like. It's who she is. You all know that. This woman's looks haven't helped her husband. It's who she is that's helped her. And guys, don't ever forget that. The ladies, don't ever forget that who you are can make or break your husband. I really mean that. We've seen that over and over and over again. So, men, this week, I, I, I encourage you to tell your wife that she's beautiful. But more than that, tell her how much you appreciate who she is. And be specific. Honey, thanks for being who you are. That ain't it. Tell me right now. Tell her specifically. Why? 
She's so great. Why do you appreciate it? And ladies, if you're an unmarried lady here today, let me encourage you to, to pray for and search for a man whose focus is on your godliness, on your character, on who you really are, far beyond what you look like. Because here's the bad news. If a young man or any man whomever is attracted to you mainly because of what you look like, then at some point he's going to find somebody more attractive than you. You may never know who that woman is. She may never appear physically. Maybe on an image. Maybe in his mind. He will drift from you because all he's focused on is what you look like or what she looks like. And that's his only purpose. Verse 30 tells us something very interesting that really we don't need a scripture verse to tell us. But and I'm glad God says it anyway. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Here's the reason you don't need youth or beauty to be a model woman. They lie to you and they don't last. It's very simple. Charm, it says here, is deceptive. Now, charm is this, this way that you can get people to be attracted to you, your personality, all the things you can do to make people love you. Now, we see plenty of people who can manipulate this. Obviously, it's pretty easy to do. You just talk about the right things at the right time. You kind of smile and so on. This is how you make yourself appear elegant and pleasing, whatever it may be. Now, we don't need a verse of Scripture to tell us that those things, like charm and personality, can be liars. You ever met somebody you thought, man, they're just incredible. And then you find out who they really are. We don't need a Bible verse to tell them. I'm thankful that God puts it in there because He just wants to reaffirm, look, yeah, you're right, that stuff can lie to you. Charm, this personality, it, it's deceptive, it disappoints, it can mislead you. Ultimately, it can't be trusted just who a person appears to be because it has no value. Now, the verse goes on to tell us that beauty doesn't last. Now, again, we don't need a Bible verse for that. But thankfully, God just reaffirms it. In case you haven't noticed, He says, <laughs> beauty is fleeting. It's going to go away. Now, we can pull out old pictures and yearbooks. And laugh at how much we changed, all of us. I used to have lots of hair. Man, it was good looking. <laughs> and then I got married. No, and, and, <laughs> sorry. And, and then it all started to fall out. And now it's kind of, sort of there. And I grew up to see how much I had, and I got tired of cutting it every week, so just left it. But you know, I, I look different. You too. Beauty, whatever kind of beauty you have. You say, oh, I'm never that pretty in the first place. Well, you still have changed a little bit. We, we've unfortunately come to see aging as this great enemy. God sees it as a crown. God sees it as something that has great splendor, He says. It's incredible. He looks on those who are young and, and making wrong decisions and says, you're not noble. There's nothing great about you. You're a fool. And He says... Those who, who have wisdom, particularly those who have aged and have learned about life, and that's who you should follow. Beauty's not going to last, he says. And so I guess the rhetorical question is why do we, and ladies in particular, why do you waste so much time and money on stuff that's not going to last? I, I really mean that. And I don't mean that to say, well, let me get on you. I'm not saying you shouldn't care about how you look. No, don't, don't misread this. Please don't. But why do we devote so much of our time, our attention, and guys, we're guilty of this too, on what we look like? It's not going to last. 
Charm and beauty, those things are not bad in and of themselves. If, if you have a great personality, or you're very pretty or attractive, you don't have to, to hate yourself because of that. That's not the point. But they're just not worth setting your sights on. They're not worth making your life about those things. Because here's what the world will never tell you. Youth and beauty are not worthy. They are not worthy of your primary devotion. The reason is they don't last. They're not worthy of your primary devotion. Now the multi-billion dollar industries that are built on telling you the other story are going to be so in your face that you're going to have to rely on God's truth. Verse 30 goes on to give us the alternative. This woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's the secret of her life is she's devoted to the Lord. That's the reason for how successful she's become. He has her ultimate and her only devotion. This isn't a woman who expects to get something from God just by being a good wife and a good mother. You realize that apart from Jesus Christ, you can be the best mother and best wife in the world and still stand under what the Bible says is the condemnation from God, His wrath for your sin. There is nothing virtuous that earns you anything with God. Now hear me on this. There's nothing virtuous that earns you anything with God about being a great wife and a great mother. You earn nothing. Earn nothing from God. Are those good things? Absolutely. What are you trying to say? All I'm saying is don't count on those for your salvation. Don't assume that just, well, I'm a good wife, I'm a good mother. Well, she was so wonderful. If she didn't know Jesus, unfortunately the Bible tells us when she dies, she faces judgment from God for her sin and spends eternity in hell. As a good wife and a good mother. Apart from Jesus Christ, apart from what it says, fearing the Lord and believing in Him, none of us, no matter how good we may think we are, are anything but sinners condemned by God. But through Jesus Christ, we can be set free and forgiven and given new life, and then it matters whether you are a good mother, a good wife, because that's an extension of your devotion, your fear of the Lord. I hope you understand the distinction. You've got to put them in the right order. The woman who fears the Lord, it says, will be praised. It's the same idea of someone being eulogized. It was funny, I did a funeral one time. Somebody came up to me before it started. I said, no, make them sound good. But not too good. Okay. This woman is made to sound really, really good. You've been to a place where somebody gives up, gets up and gives a, a eulogy. And I remember this. And, oh, she was incredible. That's kind of what this is. She is to be praised. She's to be talked about very well. That's the idea. She is this model woman. Ladies, make it your goal to be spoken well of, not because of what you look like and how talented you are, but because you fear the Lord. Because He has your ultimate devotion. This woman in Proverbs is not praised because of her beauty, her youth, her talent, her personality, her giftings. Abilities only because she fears the Lord. Everything else is an extension. This woman, as we see in verse 31, give her the reward of her labor and let her works praise her at the city gates. She is to be rewarded and acknowledged. Ladies, there's not a woman here who doesn't want to be rewarded and acknowledged for what you've done. That's okay. Let this woman be praised at the city gates. You want to be valued, to gain the love and respect of those who are closest to you. You want to be more than a pretty face. You want to focus on what matters most, but obviously that's not easy. And it may not even be where you are right now. Let me give you 
a very difficult reality that I honestly want you to think about. The difficult reality that each of us must face, man or woman, is this, that your life is currently organized around whatever or whomever as your primary devotion. Right now. No, that's not true. I, really, I, I'm devoted. I'm right now. Your life is currently organized around whatever as your primary devotion. We see this woman being primarily devoted to the Lord and devoted to the people that depend on her most. And we say, well, that's me. I'm devoted to the Lord. I, I love my family. I love Jesus. But we've got to take a hard look today and say, current, today, my life is organized around whatever it is that has my primary devotion. That's true. You, know, you don't like that. I don't like that. You have to take an honest look, but it's true. It revolves around your life does whatever you've allowed or chosen to be primary. And I don't have to ask you to get out in the calendar app and, and prove to me, well, no, I, I've scheduled in eight hours a day to spend reading the Bible and praying and fasting. I fast every single day of the year. I don't have to, to get you to pull out you know, your computer and go online there to your online banking statement. I, you don't have to see those things to know and to, to face reality this morning. Your life really is organized around whatever has your primary devotion. Because it's what consumes your time. It's what you spend your money on. It's what's always in your mind. We know that. Whatever it is. And if you say, well, I'm not sure. Well, just ask the people that are closest to you. They'll tell you. You're consumed by this. This is what you love most. This is what has your devotion. I'm not trying to put it heavy. Because sometimes you say, well, you know what? In reality, my life is organized around my devotion to the Lord. My devotion to my family. Here's what we need to do. We need to hold up Proverbs chapter 31, verses 28 to 31. That's the place that each woman is called by God to be. Look at that and say, here's a woman who's primarily devoted to God and secondarily devoted to what, to what matters most to people around her. And then hold up where we are now. Our current life organization. What our life revolves around. What has our primary devotion. And then, make a choice. Simple as that. If the current organization of your life is not heading, ladies, towards you becoming this Proverbs 31 kind of woman, then today, not tomorrow, not this afternoon after lunch, and you've got to fix all that stuff. No, no, no. Right now, if your life is not headed in that direction, if that does not have your primary devotion, if God Himself is not your primary devotion, then right now, today, it's time to ask God to forgive you and to change you. Any forgiveness of that? Absolutely. Why? You will have no other guidance before. It's a sin. Well, I don't know if I like you calling it. I got, I got a lot of stuff I'm responsible for. I get it. But if we get out of order, myself included, if we put other things as primary in our lives above Jesus Christ Himself, we are in sin. We need God's forgiveness. We need His help. And then it's time to depend on His wisdom for the right response. And that is very simply, to reorganize your life around what matters most. You have permission from God to reorganize. You have help from God to reorganize. It's not going to be easy. So I encourage you to do it before you're ready. Do it before anybody else around you is ready for you to do it. Do it before you can think about how crazy it's going to be to reorganize your life around what truly matters most. Make some decision right now, this week, to say, I don't care what it's going to cost me, I will begin the process and continue the process of reorganizing my life around 
what matters most. For some today, that begins with faith in Jesus Christ. You can try all that other stuff. I'm going to get my priorities straight and all that. It ain't going to last unless Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Give Him life. Paul said, I beg you to be reconciled to God. To surrender completely to Him. That's where reorientation begins. And then maybe you say, well, I'm already a believer in Jesus. That's not my step today. What then is your step? Maybe carve out some time each and every day before you're ready for it. Before your schedule will allow you, carve out some time each and every day to spend some time in the Scripture and in prayer. You say, this is where I've got to be every single day. I've got to start here. Maybe I've got to get up 15 minutes earlier. Maybe I've got to avoid something in the morning. I don't know what it is. Or maybe for you, it's, it's to say, I'm going to reorganize. And folks, this week, we're not going somewhere every single night. We're not doing it. We're not going in 50 different directions as a family anymore, starting this week, or at least beginning the process this week. Or maybe it's time that you, you admit that you've just bought into the idea that youth and beauty is, is really what defines you, and you've been trying to hang on to it, and you've consumed yourself with it. Maybe you just spend every dollar you have trying to keep up. And it's just causing stress and intense. It's time to realize that those things are never and never will be worthy of your primary devotion. They're just going to leave you broken down on the side of the road. Only Jesus is worthy of your primary devotion. He said that He would never leave you, He'd never give up on you, He'd never judge you based upon the way you look. He loves you, and it's time that He regained your primary devotion. So this week, and you already know what you need to do this week. Organize your life around time with God and time with those who matter most in your life. Reorganize your life around what matters most. Let's pray to you. Ladies, this morning I want to give you the opportunity right where you are. Right where you are to say, Lord, today I commit to reorganizing my life. It's going to take practical steps. This isn't just a mentality. This isn't just wishing and hoping. God, today I'm going to commit to reorganizing my life around what matters most. So I'll say no to some things. I'll say yes to some things. God, you and you alone deserve my primary devotion. So my commitment to you is to be committed to what matters most, to reorganize. And maybe you just pray right where you are, Lord, that's my commitment. Help me with the distractions. Give me courage. Lead me in the way you want me to go. And guys, for our fellows here, encourage you, if you've got a woman in your life, listen, <coughs> mother, daughter, wife, girlfriend, whomever it may be. Begin to pray for her. Begin to reaffirm in her what matters most, and that's not about what she looks like. about who she is. Ladies, if you need to come and pray and kneel here, you're certainly welcome to do that just to get along with God. Or you just want to spend some time there in your pews. We sing in just a moment. You say, Lord, here I am. This is who I am. God, change me. And reorganize me. You do that. Lord, we ask that you would just break us down and rearrange everything about us. 
We know, Lord, that we can trust you with what that means. And it may be painful. It may be tough. But God, we want to be reorganized around what matters most. We know that's you. So change us, Lord. Make us different. Rearrange us. Reorganize our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.